Can you hear this? Yeah. Okay. All right. Attention. Attention. Eddie Dunn, will you please take your seat? <laughs> All right, we continue our study in the book of Genesis. And if you have your Bible, electronic device, you can turn to uh, Genesis chapter 32, the story of Jacob wrestling with God. And you know, before this, Jacob had lived a, pretty much a, a life of deception and scheming. In fact, his name, Jacob, literally meant supplanter or deceiver. And so in those days, of course, people's names really had a meaning to them, and, and they were named based on some physical trait or character flaw or whatever. Can you imagine introducing yourself if you're Jacob? Some guy says, hi, I'm, you know, Bill Smith. Hi, I'm the deceiver. <laughs> and, of course, his name plays a real part in today's story because his name's going to be changed by God in the story. So uh, Jacob's deceptions and his scheming caused a lot of problems for him, and God was going to use all those circumstances, all those problems, consequences of his sin. And, you know, life is like that. I mean, it's like, who are you going to let drive your life, run your life? Uh, very much like today's movie clip, uh, who's going to drive this bus? And if it's you, it's not going to be good. Without God right there. It's a train wreck. And so in chapter uh, 32, uh, wrestling with God, uh, Jacob wrestled with God, so God, uh, let me make a controversial statement here that will shock you to the core. Jacob wrestled with God, so God was his adversary. Ooh. Jacob knew that Laban was his enemy. Uncle Laban, he, he cheated him, it says, about 20 times in 20 years. So he knew that was his enemy. Laban tried to keep him from leaving, and Laban's got a, a small army behind him, so he can't go back. He knows Laban's his adversary, his enemy. And it, going forward, he, he expected his brother Esau to be his enemy because before he left, Esau said, if I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. But, you know, that's a pretty good clue. So he knew those two guys, the guy behind him and the guy in front of him, were his enemies. But in fact, Jacob found himself, you know, trapped between that rock and the hard place. But wait, surely God was not his enemy. Surely God's not his enemy, right? I thought God was like the kindly old grandfather, you know, that would give his grandson anything that he asked for. Or the Santa Claus that you just make out a list of gifts and you automatically get them at Christmas. Surely God is a benign, friendly, heavenly Father to whom you can always depend on to get you out of any fix that you find yourself in. Not so fast. <laughs> You'll see in the story that God really, in a sense, becomes his adversary, becomes his enemy. God is opposed to him. And no wonder, I mean, if you, if you look at the guy's 
life. You go back and think about uh, what he did uh, and how he omitted God from all of his supposed uh, plans, the, the schemes and the deception, uh, the power play that he had in his family back there trying to steal the birthright. Uh, so all through the scriptures we read, fear God, fear God. Solomon said in the beginning of his Proverbs, he said, the beginning of all wisdom is the fear of God. Fear God. What have we got to fear? God's discipline. God disciplines those whom he loves. And, and looking at the story so far the last few weeks, haven't we learned something about the providence of God in the last few weeks? I mean, didn't God somehow engineer Jacob, the proud deceiver? God kind of engineered him into this mess with Laban. There, it was consequences of uh, his bad behavior, but God used it to mold him and to bring him down on his knees to humble him. And you'll see the climax of that humility in today's lesson in wrestling with God. So God somehow engineered this whole thing, or he's involved with it, certainly. Uh, and it all began with Jacob's deceptions going back to chapter 27. Here we are six chapters later, and it's finally going to bring him to his knees, finally going to humble him. And in fact, the first prayer, here's six chapters about Jacob. And we haven't seen him pray once until today. And that's, and that's appropriate because that's exactly what God was shooting for. That's exactly what we mean when we say God was his adversary. And letting him run his own life, call his own shots, drive his own bus, God was against that. And he's engineering, providentially engineering, all these things that are happening by lying, cheating, and stealing. In a sense, he made God his adversary. And so make no mistake, Jacob's life had been a traumatic battle with God. He was wrestling with God his whole life. God's will was given way back in chapter 20 when he was born, I think chapter 25. And certainly they were aware of what God's will was in 27 when they pulled all those schemes and all that deception. So Jacob had had this battle with God, Jacob's will versus God's will for the last 20 years. Is, is that kind of common throughout the Bible? Did anybody else in the Bible do any of this wrestling with God? Did they find God as their adversary? Well, think about it. Look at all the characters. Abraham, God said, pick everything up. Come right now to Canaan. I'll show you the land I'm going to give you. So he went to Haran and, and lived there until God removed him from there. Then when he got down to Canaan, what did he do? Well, this is a barren place. <laughs> I'm going to go down to Egypt where they got some good food. So he went down to Egypt. I mean, he wrestled with God. Moses Remember when God called him? He said, not me. I, I'm not going to do that. I, I, they don't want me. They won't listen to me. David, uh, you know, clearly God was said, David, you don't need but one wife. And we find him with a whole bunch of them. And then when he sees Bathsheba, it's like God sends a servant in there going, 
Uh, David, that, that lady's married to Uriah, right? And yet he wanted what he wanted. The heart wants what the heart wants. Desire. Wrestling with God. All these characters. Gideon. God said, go, and I'm going to be with you, and we're going to defeat the Midianites. And what did Gideon say? We need to do a few tests just to make sure. You don't mind if I put out the fleece, you know, and tested God in that way. Saul, King Saul, God said, only the priests make these sacrifices. Well, Saul's in a hurry, so he goes and does the sacrifice before the, the priests get there. And he says, look, surely, God, you wanted me to do this in a hurry. I mean, I, I'm going to do it my way. Uh, even John the Baptist in the New Testament, when he's in jail after he's been arrested, he suddenly starts questioning God and saying, this can't be right. If, I, if, if all this is correct, I wouldn't be here in jail facing the death penalty. So he sends messengers out in Matthew 11, very interesting, to ask Jesus, I don't think you're the one. Are you really the one or should we look for somebody else? Because if you were the one, you'd get me out of jail, I think. Or I wouldn't be here having this happen to me, right? So wrestling with God's will. Simon Peter, uh, how many times did he try to contradict Jesus? Jesus said he was going to be crucified, and Simon Peter says, no, we're not going to let that happen. We're going to prevent that. You don't have to worry about that. And that's when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. What did Jesus mean? If you try to prevent the crucifixion, you're actually opposing God's will. You make yourself an adversary. And of course, the Apostle Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, what did he do? He was out there killing Christians, arresting them at every chance. And so on the road to Damascus, Jesus strikes him down and says, Saul, Saul, why have you, are you persecuting me? Why do you oppose me? My, why have you made yourself my adversary? So we're all involved in this struggle, wrestling with God, my will, what I want. Not only what I want, but how I plan to get it. Right? Wrestling with God is common to the human race. Hosea 12, 4, uh, this story is so unique and mysterious that most theologians just can't get with it, and so they say, oh, well, this didn't really happen. This is uh, like an allegory. And it means they make up some wild thing that it supposedly means. But, but I would say it is, uh, you, you know, what's the, anybody remember the, the uh, title to this series we're doing? Wildest and Craziest Stories, right? So sure it is. Sure it is. But clearly the author is writing it and expects us to take it literally. He takes it literally as a literal historic event. Moses wrote it. And so I take it that it actually did happen and it has real meaning and purpose to it, not only to Jacob, which we can see, but also to us. God, we are wrestling with God our entire life, our will, our selfish will against God's will. And God loves us, and so he is providentially out there working to bring us around as he's doing Jacob in this story. 
We can see ourselves in, in Jacob's life. Eventually brought down. Has that ever happened to anybody? Hum, anybody here ever been humbled by the circumstances and brought down to their knees and pray a prayer like this to God? A anybody? <laughs> You're all supposed to raise your hands. Get them up. <laughs> That's better. That's better. I need to train this audience. They're just not. Okay. So the, the prophet Hosea explains this story. Uh, he's, he's talking to the nation of Israel, and he says, you're just like Jacob. You wrestle with God. And he, and he refers to the story, and he says the man, God, uh, who turns out to be God, is wrestling with Jacob, and, and he tells us what Jacob is doing during the wrestling match. Jacob is weeping and crying and begging God to help him, Hosea says, during this wrestling match. And that adds, an, those are, that's an important detail because we read they wrestled all night and you're thinking, what? Well, that's it? They were just out there wrestling around, don't, don't even know who these, this guy is or anything? No. He realized the, the strength and the power of this adversary. And he wept and, and begged and prayed that God would help him because he is convinced, he has just gotten the news that his brother Esau is coming his way with 400 fighting men. So the, the future does not look rosy. Looks bleak. He's scared. So God came to wrestle his adversary, to oppose Jacob's controlling his own life and running the show. God came to wrestle all night to bring Jacob to the end of himself. I'm not going to run my life anymore. I'm broken. I'm going to turn it over to the Lord. It's a picture of faith, being brought to faith and dependence upon the Lord. Okay, so how about us? <laughs> Have we come to that point yet, or does God still need to work on you? Silences. Deafening. All right, so Genesis 32, look at the text. He, again, he fled from Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban chased him with an army of guys, uh, and so now he's crossed the border and he's got Laban behind him, but now he's entering the land where his brother Esau is, and he knows his brother hates his guts because of what he did before and has threatened to kill him. And so what did he need? He needed comfort. He needed to know that God was going to be with him. And so the very first thing that God does in verse 1 and 2, now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. This is like bookends. Remember when he left the land 20 years before? What happened in chapter 28 when he left the land? The, the ladder, remember the, the, the stairway to heaven and the angels coming and going? God let him see that to let him know that he was with him. And now he's coming back to the land, and once again, uh, God sends angels to minister to him to build him up, 
to get him prepared. And so Jacob says, this is God's camp. We've entered God's territory. God is here. So he, he named it. And then Jacob said, okay, now, I've, I got away from Laban. Now we need to focus on Esau. And so what does he do? Jacob sent messengers, scouts really, before him to his brother Esau and the land of Seir, the country of Edom. So he, he had gotten word uh, where uh, Esau was. He was kind of down south and east there in that area around where the Dead Sea is. And so he sent messengers down there to take a message to let Esau know that he was coming back and wanted Esau to know that it was a friendly deal, that he wanted to make reparations and, you know, say, uh, you know, what, what do you say we make up? <laughs> and so he sent uh, messengers and he commanded them saying, thus you'll say to my Lord Esau, your servant Jacob says, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. So that's where I've been. I've been up with Uncle Laban and now I'm coming back. And guess what? I don't need any of your stuff. I'm not coming back to take your stuff or to be any kind of threat to you. Because look, I'm coming back with oxen and donkeys and flocks and servants. I'm wealthy. I definitely don't need any of your stuff or have any designs on any of your uh, stuff or land or anything. So we're cool that I may find favor in your sight. So the time goes by, they, they leave, and the messengers then come back, you know, who knows how long, a month later or whatever, and they return to Jacob saying, uh-oh, <laughs> we just come from your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you with 400 fighting men. <laughs> They've got angry looks on their face. So then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. Remember when you were in grade school and the school bully would say, I'm meeting you at the bicycle rack after school. You know, and you the whole day you just shook with fear, you know. That's how he felt. He had to look forward to that. And so Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people. He said, okay, I'm going to divide. Uh, he had a big family, as you know, remember all the children of Jacob? And uh, so he divided them and all the servants and all the animals into two groups, one on each side of the river. And his idea was, well, if, if we get attacked here, the group on the other side of the river will be able to get away. And so at least half my family will survive. So he's thinking of all these ways uh, and, and what he ought to be doing and preparations. And then, because he says in verse 8, if Esau attacks, the other one can get away. And so verse 9 is the first prayer, Jacob's prayer. And it's a great prayer. So I want you to pay some close attention to it because I think it, it has meaning for us all. It's kind of a, a great model a great way to approach God in prayer is, is this. So Jacob finally uh, completely humbled, and we see at least uh, five parts to his prayer. First, 
He's going to acknowledge who God is. He's the God of Abraham, and he's the one and only true God. And secondly, in humility and confession, he's going to get down and tell God, you know, I'm unworthy. You've blessed me beyond my wildest dreams. I don't deserve any of this. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And so the third part is praise and thanksgiving for all those blessings. And then fourthly, after he's established who God is and established uh, uh, his own humility and confessed his own sin and what have you, he gives his petition. Very simple petition. Help! <laughs> Save me! Don't let this guy kill me! And then lastly, I think is an expression of faith. He's going to quote from God's word, previous word, that he's going to take care of him and bless him and give him the land and make him a nation and all that. And he's going to express faith in what God has said he will do. So an expression of faith. So verse uh, 9, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who didst say to me, so it establishes who God is. You said, Lord, return to your country. You've called me back. This is your word I'm obeying. Verse 10, the confession. I am unworthy. I don't deserve it. I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness which thou hast shown to thy servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan. I left here with nothing. And somehow... By your blessing, Lord, I come back a rich man. Have you ever, have you ever thought that? You know, when you're, remember you got out of college and, and by the age of this group, you're like me. When, you got the, when we got out of college, it's kind of like, God, if I can find a job at 1000 a month, I'll be, I'll be fortunate, you know. And now, you're, I assume you're all rich. I'm kidding. <laughs> but now you look at yourself and you're going, how did I ever end up so well, so well off? You know? Hopefully we're like Jacob and we go, Lord, I didn't deserve it, but, but you gave all this to me. It's amazing. And that's what Jacob's saying. I don't know how I ended up with all this property, but it's awesome. And Lord, I know that you gave it. Verse 11, the petition. Deliver me, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him with good reason, lest he come and attack me and all of my family, all my, the mothers and the children. And now here's the expression of faith in verse 12. For Lord, you did say, so this is God's word, He's saying, basically, I believe your word. You did say, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. I really think, and, and judging from all the other prayers in the Bible, that God loves it when we quote his word. And I would do that in every prayer. Quote God's word. For thou didst say, I will surely prosper you. And how is that going to happen if I'm dead? <laughs> so I believe you're going to take care of me. 
because of, of your promises to me. So faith in God's promises. And then verse 13, he spent the night there, and then he selected from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau. So the next day, he comes up with a great strategy. He's got all this property, and how is he going to, uh, what would be the word, calm Esau down? <laughs> How's he going to make up with him? What reparations can he give? So he comes up with this great scheme uh, to overwhelm Esau with gifts. And he's going to send uh, five waves of messengers with flocks and herds of all these different kinds. He's going to give five of them. One after another, there's going to be a space uh, between all five. So Esau will get this huge group, you know, Altogether, it's going to be 580 animals, 580 animals, if you count up all the stuff that he sent him. But he did it in five ways, so he gets this one herd, and by the time he gets all that organized and works out, you know, how, how many they are and what they're going to do with them, here comes another one, and then another one, and then another one, and then another one. I mean, he's just overwhelmed by all these gifts. From Jacob. All the camels and the goats and the cattle and on and on and on. So 200 female goats and 20 male goats and hundreds ewes and 20 rams and on and on. And he delivered them into the hand of the servants. Every drove by itself, all five of them, separated. And he said to his servants, Pass on before me and put a space between you. So it'd be like waves coming at Esau of gifts. And he commanded the one in front saying, When my brother Esau meets you and asks you saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going and to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, these belong to your servant Jacob, your brother, your servant. Notice the humility. When he left 20 years ago, what was he trying to do? He was trying to be the ruler of Esau. He wanted the family blessing that would make him the patriarch of the family, so he ran, would run the family business, and Esau would work for him. Now, coming back after 20 years He's changed. We saw his humility in the prayer, and now he calls himself Esau's servant. Everything's different. Then you will say, these belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. So he's coming to you. Then he commanded also the second and the third Wave and all those who followed the drove, saying, After this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob. And why? What's, what's the purpose of this? He says here in verse 20, For he said, I will appease him. I know he's angry, but perhaps this will appease his anger with the present that goes before me. Then afterward I will see his face, and perhaps he will accept me. 
So the present passed on before him while he himself spent the night in the camp. It's going to be a sleepless night, by the way. This is the night of wrestling. And, you know, I can relate. If you've ever had one of those crisis situations, a crisis, and maybe it's, you know, not even you. It's somebody in your family that's very important to you. And you just can't sleep because this crisis is so present on your mind. And this is the kind of night that Esau has in a spiritual, mental framework. But he is also going to experience it in a physical framework. Because God's actually going to confront him physically as well. So he arose that night and took his wives and his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok, took them to the other side. And he took them and sent them across the stream, and he sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone. So here's Jacob now on the other side of the river, away from all of his family. And he's alone at this time, and he's probably just sweating profusely and worried, what's going to happen? How am I going to get out of this? Is God going to protect me? All these things that run through your mind. What did I do to deserve this? All these kind of things. And look what happens, verse 24. Not a lot of detail here. Not a lot of detail. Verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man, in other words, he, he, he was a physical appearance. Now, Theologians, depending on which one you read, will give you several options here. Who is this man? Well, clearly it's a, it, it is God or it's a messenger from God. It's an angel. It's the angel of the Lord. Uh, it could be God, a man, God in a, a form of a man, uh, one theologian said. And then there's another school which makes sense to me that this is the pre-incarnate Christ. The second person of the Trinity, Jesus, pre-existed the incarnation. So he always existed in the form of God. And so this could be Jesus uh, appearing in the form of man here and wrestling with Jacob. Uh, Whatever you pick, no problem. It all works out the same. You know, this is God wrestling with Jacob in any form you want to see it. And at the end of this, Jacob is even going to say that. I've wrestled with God and lived to tell the story. So verse 25, we'll give the summary statement of 24. He wrestled all night until daybreak. Now, if there was any of you who ever wrestled in high school or college or anything like that, certainly not me. But I have been in a few wrestling matches enough to know that after about three to five minutes, you're done. I mean, that's why they, <laughs> those things don't last very long. I mean, you just, you're worn out real quick. So the very idea that this would go on all night, I mean, just think of the exhaustion factor. At the end of which, what we, what we find is Jacob, without any strength left, but he's just hanging on for dear life. Just hanging on. He's clinging to God. 
hanging on for dear life. And he says, I won't let go no matter what. That's perseverance. And I think there's a point there that Jacob's saying, I need you. I won't let you go. No matter what. So when uh, the man, God, the angel, whoever it was, had not prevailed against him. So could he have prevailed? Obviously. How do you know that? Well, at the end of which he just touches him and takes out his hip hip socket just by touching him. So I think he could have whipped him pretty easily. It's kind of like when, you, you know, if you had a, like a little, little brother, like, you know, four or five, six years younger, and you'd play around with him and act like, you know, he's winning the wrestling, you know, kind of like that. And, and Jacob is really just kind of hanging on for dear life throughout the thing. And so he, when he saw that, he, the angel touched the socket of Jacob's thigh So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go. The angel said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. Sun's coming up. This is over. So let me go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go. I will not quit clinging to you unless you bless me. So that's what this is about to Jacob. God, you've got to take care of me. What is the blessing he's looking for? What did he just pray for? Save me. Deliver me. Take care of me. Don't let Esau kill me. And so he's basically saying, until you bless me, I'm going to hold on tight. I will not give up. You know, the perseverance of faith. You go through a lot. Sometimes it takes a really long time and you're just totally worn out. But you never let go of your faith. And he says to him, to to Jacob, by the way, this is kind of like a confession. Obviously, being God, he knows knows who who he is. And so the angel says, what is your name? Now, in what sense is this a confession? I'm, an, I'm the deceiver. He literally confesses what got him into this mess in the first place. <laughs> and so God says, the angel says, I'm going to change your name. Your name shall no longer be deceiver, but Israel. You ever wonder where that name, for the nation of Israel, for the Jewish people, where did that come from? This is it. It started right here. It's not before this. This is it. Israel. And that's putting two uh, Hebrew words together. El means, is the generic name for God. So he's talking about God. And, And in Literally in Hebrew, it, it says, wrestled or fought God. It just says those two words, just sitting there. So you can't really tell exactly what that name means. And so there's a lot of different opinions what Israel means. Uh, 
probably the two most popular ones are, uh, in, a, in a popular sense, striving with God, that would be a real positive thing, or in a realistic sense, it probably means fighting with God <laughs> or wrestling with God, contending with God, right? Because that's pretty much the history of Israel. Either one works. Either one describes their history. So Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. You didn't give up. You persevered. You hung on. And, of course, we all wrestle with God, as, we, as I said before, and it's a matter of perseverance. Do you hold on to him in faith? And Jacob did. So this uh, wrestling with God is, uh, you, could, you could say it's a, a parable, a physical parable of a lifetime struggle with God, a spiritual struggle with God, his will versus my will. Even though this, I believe, is a historical event, it actually happened, I think it also represents that struggle that we all have. And it also revealed, remember when I started out talking, that was God his enemy? He thought it was Laban and Esau, but it turns out to be, in a sense, God. Because his real battle was with God. He thought it was with Laban and Esau, but we find out in reality, his real battle is with the Lord. And the same thing is true with us. We could write probably, if you're like me, you could take a legal pad and write all your problems, just almost infinite, <laughs> right? And we kind of tend to think, you know, this is my problem. These are my problems. If I could somehow work all this out, everything would be great. But it's, that's, that's not your real problem. Your real struggle is with God. Abandoning, giving up your own will and taking his. Giving up this life and taking on the life of Christ. And living that life of faith. That's the struggle. And so after he renames him Israel, Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. But the angel said, Why is it that you ask my name? Surely you know. And he blessed him there. And so Jacob named the place Peniel. Again, that, that L is at the end. I, I have seen God. He, he named it that. So he knew who it was or who, it, who he represented. I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. And so the sun rose uh, upon him just as he crossed over Peniel, and he was limping on his thigh. And in the tradition of uh, Israel and the church, Jacob limped from that time on. And you think, well, golly, that, that's kind of rough. But think, think of what that accomplished. For him personally, he would never forget that this happened. He would never forget the consequences of his sin or that he was wrestling with God over it. And for the nation of Israel, 
they would never forget. It would become like a memorial to them. Look at verse 32. Therefore, to this day, the sons of Israel do not eat the, the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh in the sinew of the hip. So from that point on, the whole nation observed this historical event of God interceding and wrestling with the founder of, so to speak, of their nation. So let me uh, conclude. You know, God, uh, I think, clearly, God initiated this battle with Jacob. This is God's chosen son. This is the heir of the promise that he, that he made to Abraham. But God initiated it. And to change him, why would he do that? To change him, to humble him, to break his self-reliance, bring him to the point of faith. What's the process that we observed? Well, first of all, there's a crisis situation. <laughs> we all have crisis situations in our life, and God uses those. So through a crisis situ situation, God engineered this whole deal with Laban and Esau, caught between the rock and the hard place, can't go back, can't go forward. God initiated the wrestling match. He was just sitting there in fear and worry, and God came to him. God wrestled him, not the other way around. A lot of people think, well, yeah, Jacob saw this guy and went and wrestled. No. <laughs> God came to him. God initiated the wrestling match. God got his attention. Secondly, the process, commitment. It involved a commitment. And so Jacob says, I will not let go I will cling to you until you bless me. Holding on for dear life. Did he get tired? Yeah. Did he get discouraged? Yeah. Was he scared? Yeah. All of our crisis situations are like that. We get discouraged. We get tired. We get scared. But Jacob says, I'm 100% committed to holding on to God until God blesses me. I'm not going to bail out. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to wait on the Lord. Third part of the process is the confession. God says, what's your name? Uh, deceiver. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool if we were all named what we're really like? <laughs> nice to meet you, liar. Uh, you know, I'm not even going to say some of the names. I'm, they're running around in my head as I'm looking. But, <laughs> And then when you come to Christ and your life is changed, that God would give you a new name like this. Wouldn't that be great? And that's what happened to Jacob. And fourthly, you could say cooperation a life of faith, however you want to put it. But God changes us, and we're a part of that. We live a part of that change. We allow it. We yield to him. 
in that. And let him change us. Let him work on us. And so Jacob was humbled. And he said, okay, Lord, <laughs> I'm yours, whatever, whatever you're going to do. And God took care of him. And it, we also, and I saw one day a guy was talking, talking about how this relates to the church. And he was saying, well, after you go through enough experiences like this, have enough crises in your life, you could say our life is limping for Christ. Because we all got scars all over us for all the stuff we've been through. And, and God has said over and over in the New Testament, hey, my power is perfected in your weakness. So you limp? Good. It just reveals the power of Christ in you. That you're able to live the life you live and serve the Lord with that limp and persevere as Jacob did. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with this story and for opening it up, enlightening us, just illuminating this great story of wrestling with you and, and uh, how it changed Jacob's life, the turning point in his life. And Lord, we thank you and praise you. And, and we just uh, look to our own lives, Lord, and pray that you would... Uh, Continue to work with us and change us from the inside out as you did, Jacob. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. <laughs> Tommy! Have you wrestled? <laughs> Several times. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. <laughs>